I'm going to do a little bit something a little bit different today. I, I, was ready, I was ready to go back into 2 Peter and continue that because we're in 2 Peter chapter 3. And, and believe me, we're going to come back to that because that's an awesome chapter that we're going to reach out and to get, dig into. But I want to talk more about the role of a church. Um, I put a Facebook post out and, uh, a couple Wednesdays ago, and I asked for reasons. I asked for comments, and I got a few. But I want to um, take the next time here today to, to help us talk about the role of our church, and not just in the four walls of this building. I want to know, I want to define the church as being what we just experienced today. And it should be like this more than just on Sunday morning. So, um, Larry, go ahead and um, I, I'm going to throw that post up that I did, and then we'll use that as kind of a basis point, and we'll just move from there. Well, good morning, Center Point family and friends from wherever. It is a beautiful day here in northern Michigan. It's cold. It's about 10 degrees outside, but it's sunny, and it's just a beautiful winter day. Um, but I think we're going to be bracing for some pretty heavy snows coming up here in the next day or so is what the forecast is. So winter is, um, is real, and it's happening here. <laughs> but today I want to I ask you a question, and I really hope that uh, you will respond to this uh, question. Um, but first I want to give you some facts. The question I'm going to ask you about is church, and uh, whether you attend a local church or not, uh, and some things about that. So um, stay with me here just for a few minutes. And But I want to start off with a couple facts that are very important for us to recognize. So first of all, what is the church? And whose idea is the church? So let me go back to the Bible. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says this, and he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. So Jesus is talking to Peter, talking to the disciples, and he says, Peter, you're going to build my church. And the rock that Jesus is talking about is not Peter. Peter is not the rock. The church is not built on Peter. The rock is Christ. So the church is being built on Christ, but he says, Peter, you're going to be one of my major builders. And then it's going to just um, replicate down the line so that all disciples, including us, are also building the church. Now, this is the capital C church, which would be the overall church of God throughout the world. But every local church that is a Bible-believing church and a, a church that believes as Jesus describes the church to be is part of that church. So we have local churches that make up the big church of Christ. So the first fact that I have is that the idea of church or the gathering together of believers is the idea of Jesus Christ. It's his idea. He implemented the concept of church, not Peter, not the disciples, and certainly not men today. So fact number one. Fact number two is we're encouraged to continue to uh, participate in church. Um, the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, and this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25, Not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together means the church. Not giving up meeting together, coming together as the church, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And 
here's the re really important point, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what is this day? This day approaching is the rapture or the return of Christ or the, the culmination of time as we know it. So the, heater, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us that we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds through meeting together as the local church, being a part of each other, the congregation, being a part of the church. So that's fact two. Fact one, the, the church is the idea of Christ. Fact two, um, we're encouraged throughout Scripture to continue to um, be in the habit of going to church. All right, now let me, let me just talk a little bit now more about this, and let me give you a little background of who I am and why I'm asking this question. Now, I'm a pastor of a local church, northern Michigan, small community, um, but I've only been a pastor for about 12 years. I'm in my 12th year of pastoring. So I spent more time being a layman in a church. I grew up in the church all my life. Being as a young boy, I, my earliest memories are you know, waking up and falling asleep on church pews and so forth. And so I've grown up in the church. I haven't done everything perfect, obviously, through my life. And, uh, you know, life is, takes us down many roads. But as we, as Chris and I um, created a family, you know, we brought our children to church. And church has always been a major part of my life. And I always felt it to be very important. And um, even when I wasn't pastoring, I felt church was important. Um, but now we're running into some things that are a little bit more concerning. Um, we're getting closer to the end of time. That's a fact. Um, we're one day closer than we were yesterday. <laughs> and tomorrow we're going to be one day closer. So the fact is time is winding down on us. I don't know how many more days, weeks, years we have before Christ returns. But I do know for a fact that he is coming back. And he's coming back for the church the church that's prepared, the church that is a, a, a bride that he's preparing, he's going to come back to take his bride away. So we need to be part of that. So, But the concerning issue is that I, I read in, on a research uh, project by Barna Research that, um, and it, it's titled, Just How Bad Is Church Attendance Slipping During COVID-19? And this is what they've said, that... Um, with the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, and the millennials. Um, and it, it goes through some of their percentages that was taken back in April 28th through May 11th, 2020. So that was a while ago, and they're saying presumably these numbers will look even worse now or as time progresses. But according to the boomers, 26% have stopped attending church. 11% has, have switched churches, and 40% have stayed at their same church. The Gen Xers... 35% have stopped attending church, 17% have switched churches, 31% have stayed in the same church. The millennials, the younger ones, 50% have stopped attending church, 8% have switched churches, and 30% have stayed at the same church. Now, I give those statistics only to say this. Um, they don't incorporate everybody's life. I, I understand that. I, I get that. But... The, the thing is, uh, what they're saying here is that the reason that people have either stopped attending church or switched churches or even stayed in their church is this. There is a certain value that people see in church. There is a value proposition, like in everything else. Anything that takes our time, we have to see the value of our time. 
So I'm getting to my question. So hang on here. Um, if there's a value in something, we will continue to do it. If there is no value, we will find reasons not to do it or we'll switch. So what they're saying is that for those that have stopped attending church, there is no more value for them to go to church. Or if they switch churches, there is a perceived value by going to another church. And then those that stay in their church, obviously there is a value um, that is uh, them to stay in the church they're, they're at. So here's my question. And this is, I really need your help on this. So I would really appreciate if you would re reply and respond to this. And if it's private in nature, that's fine. If you want to make private message me, perfectly fine with that as well. But what is the value that you are looking for in your church? I'm assuming you go to church. And if you don't go to church, why don't you go to church? What's the value that a church would have to promote? What's the proposition value, value proposition that you have to have in order, in, in order for you to become part of a local church and to be a committed member to the local church? These are a number of questions. Do you see church as important today? Or do you see Christianity, your own personal Christianity, independent of church and your church attendance and your church participation? I ask these questions seriously, and I would really love to hear your response truthfully. I don't need to like it. You can tell me things that I, don't, that I may not appreciate. That's fine. Um, but I am, as a pastor of a local church, we are trying to understand what our value is and what it should be to our community. And not so that we become the popular church, but I want to be the church that really serve people that people can find a value, a reason that they say, yeah, I want to go to Center Point Assembly, and I want to be part of that church. And so I'm really looking for your opinion, your thoughts. What is important to you, to church? And if you don't go to church, why don't you go to church? Have you been hurt? Have you been offended? Is church a bunch of hypocrites? What is it so that we can find the value that we can offer Clearly, Christ is the value. I get that. But how do we become applicable? How do we become important to people? And um, wherever you're living, you may not be in Charlotte, you may be in a different part of the country or state or world, I don't know. But I'm assuming the same, the same thing for your local church. Um, think about that. And uh, let that become part of um, your life. Why do you go to church? And again, please... Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, it would help us uh, greatly. And I am praying that we, that we gather together because the day is coming quickly where we'll not have the opportunity, either because this church will be persecuted and we may not have the opportunity to go to church, or Christ is going to come back and rescue us and, and we'll, be, we'll be taken out of the church, taken out of the world. The church will be taken out of the world. Uh, that would be great. But anyway, thank you so much for listening. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. Be blessed today. So anyway, um, I offered that out, and I have a few comments and a few phone calls from different people, and it's been interesting. Um, but I want to just spend the next few minutes to talk about that amongst us. Uh, and I prayed this morning that the Lord would bring those that are supposed to be here here. <laughs> um, so you're, you're important. You're important to the process.
And uh, I want to just spend some time talking about that. So I want to start by reading some scripture. Uh, Larry, if you'd throw our PowerPoint up, please. And I'm going to ask us to do something special here. It's something different because I have a lot of scripture here. And, uh, and I want us to read it together. So it is, um, so I've titled this, first of all, I've titled this, this message, What is the Value Proposition of Church? Or the tagline would be Process Yields End Result. Um, so th- we're in a process here, and the end result is we're going to find out what that is. But read with me, if you will. I'm going to read what's in white, and you read it in yellow so that we can get through this and so we understand it the, the best we can. So I'm going to read in white, and you read yellow. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are are fragile clay, are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. All of this is for your benefit, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Father, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us your truth, your promises, your assurance of salvation, your plan for the future, 
And Lord, as we study this and as we try to understand to the best of our abilities, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to just enlighten us. Show us your ways. Show us your heart, your mind, your truth, your love, your mercy, and your grace so that we can be the light into this world and that we can help take off that veil that the enemy has hidden over the eyes of the ones that are perishing. That's our role, and help us in that now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So as we talk about the question, what is the value of church, I want to take a little bit of time here and help us, encourage us to evaluate this on our own personal value, our own personal level. And I want this to be interactive, and and it, it hopefully may even answer a question that some of you have, in that, why am I here? Where do I fit in to this church? What's my role? What's my purpose? What's my reason to be here other than just sit in a chair and be counted? So hang with me here as we work through this day today. We all probably know that, and we probably agree, that our end result is heaven. I think that if anyone to you would say, what is your end result? Why, why are you living life? What's, what's the result of your life going to be? It would be heaven. Why wouldn't it be? I, I can't imagine any sane person not saying that. And most people probably believe that they're good enough to get there on their own. <laughs> if you talk to most people on the street, they, they probably think, yep, I'm going to heaven, and uh, when I get there, God will open the door because I've got more good than I have bad, and uh, I'm better than Joe down the street, so therefore, I'll, I'm good. And that's probably, that's, probably, yeah, that's probably what most people are thinking. So today, I want to talk in practical terms about our end result, the process it takes to get there, and what does church have to do with that? What does the value of church have to do with the process? And I have to set this up properly because I I, I truly want interaction. At the end of today, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about what's going to happen on the next few Wednesday nights. We're going to have workshop Wednesdays. We're, going to, we're really going to try to dig into the church, the value of church, um, so that we can be obedient, that we can be pleasing, that we can be the church that Christ wants us to be. But first, let me give an example of why the process, though important in itself, is not as important as the, as the end result. So let me say it again. Even though the process is important, the process is important. It's not as important as the end result. The process is temporary. The end result is eternal. The process of getting to where we want to get is just the journey that we're living on. It's a temporary process. The end result, however, is eternal. Whether or not that end result is heaven or hell, it's eternal. What it takes to get there is the temporary. But without the necessary process, there would be no way to get to the desired result. Without the necessary process, there there would be no way to get to the result that we desire, the result. You know, let me give you an example. When I, when I, my, my, both of my parents have passed away. And my dad passed away with pulmonary fibrosis, and my mom passed away with colon cancer. So they were both relatively lengthy deaths. 
process of dying. And in that time, I was pastoring. Uh, my dad passed in 2009, just as I started to pastor. Actually, he was the first funeral that I ever, ever performed was my dad's funeral. And then my mom passed in 2016. And in that time of their passing, I had many opportunities to talk to them about death, kind of in an up-close-and-personal way. And, uh, and I, can assure, I can assure you, and I can honestly say, that neither one of my parents feared where they were going after they took their last breath. But both of them feared the process of getting to their last breath. We've never died before, my dad said. I don't know what it's going to feel like. You can hear Dawson saying that, right? I've never died before. So I don't know what it's going to be like. So yeah, it's, I have some angst over what's it going to feel like to die. And my mom shared the same angst as well. So even though the end result was clear and desired, the process can be fearful, can be scary, difficult, fret with landmines of all kinds of different things. And even for us that are healthy today, we're healthy living here today, and, and we're in the process of living so that our end result will be what, what we want it to be. And in that process, there is some difficulties. And there are some things that are fearful. And I will just say that the, the devil is all about the process. The devil is all about the process. That's where he lives, and that's the battleground of our lives, is in the process. Have you ever heard the old saying, the devil's in the details? <laughs> now you know this. Now you know where it comes from. The devil's in the details, and one of his major strategies is to get our eyes off of the end result and get our focus on the process as being more important than the result. He doesn't. He he, he doesn't want us to think about what the end result is. He just wants to focus this on the process, and he'll do this either on either two extremes. Either he'll say that God is so good, God loves all people, God would never send you to hell. Just be assured, you can live any way you want to live because at the end of the day, you're going to be fine because God loves you. And God does love us. I mean, there's enough truth there to get our attention because God does love us, right? But the devil's missing the detail there in the fact that love isn't enough it's our acceptance of love through Jesus Christ, and we all know that. So that's one extreme that the devil will say, he'll get our eyes focused on God is so good, he will not judge you. He's gonna be, you're going to be fine. Or the other extreme is that God is so judgmental, and it's so hard to live for God that why even try? You're never going to please him. You're never going to be good enough. You can't be holy enough like God is, so therefore why even try? So basically, it's, it's either really easy or it's really hard. <laughs> and so why even try? Just give up, enjoy life, live the way you want to live because it's go for the gusto. It's all you got. One time around, go for it. But the Bible is true, and its truth is neither one of these approaches. Neither one of these is correct. We need to understand that the eternal nature of the end result, heaven or hell, are both real. 
They're both real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And they're final. End result. But yet, we need to deal now with the truth and the honesty about the process that it takes for us to get to where we want to get. There's a process, and we need to be truthful, and we need to be honest, and we need to be humble in the process. Understanding that the process, even though it's important, yet it's temporary, and in the process we'll go through many joys and many tribulations. Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Greater is he that is within me than he that's within the world. So God, even though Jesus says you're going to have trouble, he's saying, I'll I'll be with you if you'll be with me in the process. So with this said, what is the value of church in the process? Is church important? Or is it not? See, we need to talk about value for a minute. Value is basically your belief system. You value what you believe. And what you believe, you believe because you believe it to be true. Right? It doesn't make sense for you to believe something that you believe to be false. You believe what you believe because you believe what you believe is true. Right, Jackie? Okay, good. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense for you to believe in or or value something that that you don't believe to be true. So if you don't believe in what you're told to believe in or value, the reality is you won't commit to it, and what you don't commit to, you won't do. I have an example of being a school bus driver and being told that all my students that ride my bus have to wear masks. And it's my job to police that. Well, if I don't believe that, it's hard for me to police that. Because I personally don't believe children should be wearing masks. In fact, I don't believe adults should be wearing masks. And I have good confidence to believe that I have good truth behind that. It's just not my opinion. There are studies after study after study of the ineffectiveness, not just ineffectiveness, but of the damaging nature that masks do. Masks do not prevent you from getting COVID or any other virus. We swim in a swimming pool of viruses every day. And the best thing to protect yourself from a virus is take care of your body. You know, there was a time when, when I was a city kid as a kid, and, or I was a farmer as a kid but my, but growing up, but the, they would say that farm kids are more healthy than city kids. Why? Because they play in the dirt more. They play with the cows more. They play with the animals more. They get more viruses in their body. They're building up resistances to the viruses. City kids that don't have that are very susceptible now. There is truth to the fact that God created our bodies to be virus protectors. We fight our own viruses. So I have, and I will show you the belief. I've got study after study. I'll show you that if you want to hear it, if you want to see it. I'm just not making that up. It's not where I was going today. 
But if I don't believe in it, I don't value it. Okay? And I won't, I won't promote it. So the first set of questions I have is this. Do you know what you believe in? Do you know why you believe it? And are you rock solid in it or are you still searching? Do you know why you believe what you believe? So for those that consider, this, consider themselves Christians, meaning that they have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, do you believe in and value the Word of God? Are you committed to it? Is it the guiding light of your spiritual journey, or is it an optional path that you take when it's convenient and not out of your way? Another truth is one can't value something they don't know. If one doesn't know what the Word of God says, then how can one live by it? How many people have said, oh, the Bible isn't true? Why? Well, there's too many errors. Well, show me one. And they probably can't. I'm getting to some of the values of church here. So how do we learn what the Word of God says? Well, we read it. We listen to it being taught. We study it for ourselves. We meditate on it. We pray that the Holy Spirit will bring it alive to us as we read it. And how many people can attest to the fact that you can read the same scripture multiple times and the second time, your third time, fifth time you read it, all of a sudden it brings something brand new to your spirit. That's because it's a living word and the Holy Spirit is alive in you and he's making something, bring, he's bringing that new revelation. It's not changing the truth. It's just letting you see it in a different avenue of truth because God's truth is so amazing, right? So God's word is amazing. So what do all these things I just listed have in common? Well, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes attention. It takes commitment. It takes a desire to learn and then a willingness to obey. So the value of learning what the Word says and in applying it is not in the process, but in the end result of what it produces. I've heard many people say that their goal is to read through the Bible in a year. Why? To say that you did it? <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're going to read through the Bible in a year just to say you did it, why? I mean, I know God's Word says that it never returns void. I get that. But... To read the Bible, you need to read the Bible with a desire to learn what the Bible says, with an open heart, inviting the Holy Spirit to bring it alive into you, into your spirit. So it's not the process of I'm reading the Bible, it's the value in the fact that I'm getting the end result of it is getting God's truth deep in my soul. You see, God gives every person the freedom to choose from one of two final destinations, heaven or hell, Right? Heaven is to spend eternity with God in the presence of God, and hell is to spend eternity in outer darkness away from the presence of God and, and eternal punishment as enemies of God. So the final result is defined by one of two choices. What then is the process to gain the redesired result that we want? And this leads us to the value proposition of being part of a local church that Jesus defined and established 
through his teaching and the disciples' teachings and as they formulated and writ out, writ, wrote the scripture according to God's, the Holy Spirit's unction. And the reality is the enemy is all about complicating the process, complicating the value of church, complicating it and trying to get in and mess up its value proposition. You see, we read this in a, a few minutes ago that the enemy of this age, the, the God of this world, has been given the power to blind people to the truth of God's word. It's what he does. He brings a veil of blindness over people's eyes and so they can't see it. But God didn't leave us without a path back into relationship with him. That's the power of the Holy Spirit and that's the redemption power of Jesus. So while Jesus was with his disciples, he established the concept of, of church as a means to the end. Hear this. The end being relationship with God, both in this life and most importantly, for all of eternity. That's the end, and the church, the process of being in the church is the means to the end. And I find it interesting to observe the way the enemy works because the church was never designed to be the end but only a means to the end. So I don't want to do what the enemy would have us to do and just focus on building the church because we can build the church just for the wrong reasons just like reading through the Bible in a year for the wrong reasons. It's not what I'm talking about. The church was never designed to be the end, but only a means to the end. It's the process. The enemy understands God's plans, and he sees the value of church more than we do, and that's why he stands against it. The enemy sees the value of believers coming together like we did this morning and had powerful worship. We had a message in tongues, an interpretation, a great encouragement to the body. That's, the enemy sees how important it is, and he tries everything he can to stand against it. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, which you read earlier, or which I put in my little post, Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and here's the important part, and all the powers of hell will not overcome it. So if he can't stop the church... All he can do is confuse the church and make it more about it than about Christ. And that's what's happening in our world because there's so much focus on the negativity of church that they're losing the impact of what it means to be a part of a local church as a way to get to the end result, which is relationship with God. So what do we do about it? What do we do about church? How do we define it? What value do we place in it? And what's the purpose of it? And that's where I'm going to end today. And this is where I want to have some conversation. What we're going to do, we have five minutes left today before noon to keep Treasure happy because she's got the kids. We've got to be sensitive to that. But what I'd like to do, though, what I'd like to do, though, is invite your interaction because this is not my church. 
I'm simply a steward. And I will say that when the Lord says it's time to change stewards, I'm volunteering to be changed. I'm not digging in my heels here. I'm not saying this is my church. Let's build my church. I'm not saying that at all. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he's asked me to do what I can do. And that's all I'm doing. But he's put you in this same church with just as much responsibility as I have. As a layman in a church, when you stand before God someday, he's not going to ask you, well, what programs did you participate in? What pew did you sit in? Where was your favorite seat in the church? He's going to say, what did you do to build my church? How many sheep did you make? Because remember, sheep make sheep. Shepherds don't make sheep. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> and where do the sheep make the sheep? Out in the pasture. And then they bring the little baby sheep into the fold where the shepherd can feed them. And the shepherd can take care of them. That's the church. You see, I'm not talking about the church in the four walls. I'm talking about the church in the community. And I'm not talking about having the best programs. And I'm not talking about having the best food pantry. Those are important. I get it. But that's like reading the Bible through in a year just to say you did it. I'm talking about, guys, God is doing something in this remnant. This world is going to be crying for a safe place to go soon. Soon. Are we going to be there? Are we going to be there? And what are we going to be? So, Workshop Wednesdays, 6 o'clock, we're going to discuss the questions that I gave that in the handout. And I'm going to ask you to see what is your role in the church. You see, it's, not just, it's just not enough, guys, to come in on Sunday mornings. And I'm preaching to the choir here, so don't, don't, don't feel like I'm, I'm not beating anybody up. But I'm just stating the facts. It's not enough just to come on Sunday mornings and say, I go to the church. No, I want to participate. I want to be active. I want to be, in, I want to be um, enlightened. I want to be empowered. I want the Holy Spirit to um, have his way in my heart so that when I go to the world, I'm bringing the church to the world, whatever that looks like. But we as a body have to prepare ourselves. So that's what we're going to talk about on Wednesdays. Okay? Does that make sense? I know Wednesdays have been difficult maybe for some to get to, but I'm telling you, we need it. We need to get together, and we need to come, and we need to talk, and we need to plan, and we need to organize, and we need to rally the troops. That's my heart. Father, I thank you today.
Father, I just pray that you would just give us your heart. It's your idea. We're not here to please ourselves. We're here to seek your face. Please you. Love people. I pray, Father, that you give us the ability to do that. Give us the heart of that. And let it start in our hearts for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to end today with this little song from Casting Crowns. I think it kind of tops it off. But uh, let's just listen to this. We want our coffee in the lobby. We watch our worship on the screen. We got a rock star preacher who won't wake us from our dreams. We want our blessings in our pocket. We keep our missions overseas. But for the hurting in our city, would we even cross the street? But we want to see the heart set free and the tyrants kneel. The walls fall down and our land be healed. But church, if we want to see change in the world out there, it's got to start right here. It's got to start right now. We're going to start right here. We're going to start right now. I'm like the brother of the prodigal who turned his nose and puffed his chest. He didn't run off like his brother. But his soul was just as dead What if the church on Sunday Was still the church on Monday too What if we came down from our towers And walked a mile in someone's shoes Cause we want to see the heart set free And the tyrants kneel The walls fall down and our land be healed But church if we want to see the change in the world out there It's got to start right Surrender all our pride and turn from our ways. He will hear from heaven and forgive our sin. He will heal our land, but it starts right here. We're the people who are called by his name. If we'll surrender all our pride and turn from our ways, he will hear from heaven and forgive our sin. He will heal our land. It's gotta start right it's got to start right now. The Lord started right here. The Lord started right now. It's got to start right here. It's got to start right now. The Lord started right here. 
All right, come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're at Praise and Worship. We've got a word I want to share with you that's going to be powerful. It's going to be encouraging. And let's just start right here, can we? Father, I thank you for this day today. And I pray, Lord, that you just go with us to our homes and let us take the church with us. And I pray, Father, that you'd be glorified. And we just ask this in Jesus' name.